And our reading this morning is from Barbara Henderson. It is titled, Prayer for a 10-Speed Heart. Jen Ellington will share. Prayer for a 10-Speed Heart. Let the fire of my body propel and warm me and let each darkness reveal its plenitude. Let the hills flatten under my wheels and let the elegant curves yield up their good surprise. Let my heart be obstinate when I need to climb and let my lowliest gears restrain my spinning down. Let there be flatland too and into that glittering place, let me stretch with the heart of a lover at full speed, blind and intent. In the midst of a world that is marked by tragedy and beauty, there must be those who bear witness against destruction and for tenderness. So have compassion for everyone you meet, even if you are sure they don't want it or deserve it. What seems like conceit or bad manners or cynicism is always a sign things no ears have seen, no ears have heard, and no eyes have seen. And that's because we don't know what wars are going on down where the spirit meets the bone. So as Leonard Cohen tells us, let us forget our perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That is how the light gets in. So I am mindful this morning of John Corrado, his opening words, he tells us that we Unitarian Universalists have good news, and that good news had better be more than telling ourselves and our children and others what we are sure we don't believe. A practice that often says much more about us than it does about the belief itself. And mindful that long before the word gospel was hijacked by other churches and religions that I am tired, I'm so tired of apologizing for, who have used the word to, to tell us who's in and who's out. Long before that, the word actually meant good news. That's what the word means. As in, the last shall be first, and the wolf shall lie down with the lamb, and a little child shall lead them. And mindful of the idea that the world is not something we're supposed to just look at, but actually supposed to be in, and not just sightsee and observe from a distance, but actually get up close to, get proximate to, in all of its mess and its magnificence. This morning I invite you to, to in your mind's eye, just to get up out of these Puritan penalty boxes. in your mind's eye. So conducive, these, these things, to connect us to the past, but not 
good at connecting us to our bodies. And I want us to leave behind in our mind's eye these lovely but closed-in, sequestered tree canopy of our New England confines. And I want us to set aside our anxious heart, fretful and feverish from the campaign trail that maybe we can't keep our eyes from the way that we do when we see an accident on the road. And let us instead be led by our collective 10-speed hearts and be led as we are propelled and warmed as I take you along for a ride. Are you ready? I'm sorry, I couldn't really hear you. <laughs> are you ready? As we leave here for a seven-day bicycle race in the French mountains that I competed in just a few weeks ago for the second time in two years, you, us, our faith, closer in my thoughts than you might expect, but that you should expect. Because while vacations from work are needed, whoever said that being religious in the world starts and ends on Sundays or is confined to a building. I mean, Heather and Otto and I may only work one hour a week. <laughs> but Otto, that hour has a way of just kind of filling our time, doesn't it? You get to say amen now, because you got a one. <clears throat> Two days before I leave, for the long flight to Nice, France, via Logan, via connection through Germany, via the ease of the immigration that comes, let's be honest, with an American passport, but would have been radically different if instead of American, it said Syrian, right? Or Iraqi, or Somali. I catch Sally Demler on the front stoop of the church. Why? She asks me with incredulity, why, Nathan? Why are you doing that? <laughs> when I tell her the course will have us climb 21,000 meters, which three meters and a foot, 63,000 feet, and 800 kilometers, or almost 500 miles in seven days. And real quick, because without even thinking, I tell you, because I'm alive. As in, use it before you lose it. As in, pedal before you perish. <laughs> as if, if one of our affirmations of faith is that religion ought to be primarily concerned with this life in this world and not some other life, then shouldn't we get up off the couch and be in the world and not just look at the world? Yeah, okay, Sally says. Because she has lived long enough and loved enough and lost enough, like the rest of us, to understand what I mean. On the plane ride over, I, of course, sit next to the guy who has seemingly been waiting all week for someone to talk to. <laughs> you ever sit next to someone like that? Are you someone like that? 
And after he tells me how he lives in the North End and how great it is and how many restaurants there are and how he, he's so glad he doesn't have to live in the suburbs, <laughs> he asks me the question that every member of the clergy dreads from strangers, if we're honest. And do you know what the question is? Not who are you, <laughs> not what do you love. Why do we always ask that? What do you do? Which is why Otto and I, I don't know if Heather's here, if, that's why we lie, or at least I do. <laughs> <laughs> because, and let me tell you why, the moment that someone learns, quote unquote, what I do, next happens the awkward silence. And I see them in their mind, their eyes kind of go back up the way you try to remember if you've cursed or not. <laughs> and then, of course, the confessions about why they don't go to church or temple. And then next, how they're spiritual and not religious. And how they find God in the sunsets and the mountains instead of at a church. As if we didn't believe that and find that to be true as well. As if being religious actually was not all about you and your preferences. As if it had never occurred to Mr. Chatty that a real growth opportunity is actually connecting to your spirit in a community of people who will call you on your stuff. That is a challenge. But maybe I'm a tad touchy. <laughs> Just a little defensive, maybe. Which is why I lie. <laughs> the last year I told the person on the plane, you, you remember, because you laughed just a little louder than I was expecting you to, because maybe you couldn't imagine that when I said that I was in middle management at Staples. But Staples is in a rough patch. There's been layoffs. And that would lead to discussions about the economy, which would lead to politics, which would lead to a discussion of the presidential campaign. And I am just not going to do that. So this year, I answered blandly. Thought of it in a moment. Human resources. <laughs> and the beauty of such a response is that it's actually true. Because of our good news, our gospel is to get more heaven into people than people into heaven. And of our good news is that every single person in this room, everyone in this world can hope for salvation, a word that sometimes you react to, but a word that all that means is to be whole. It means to be, to be whole, to, be, to bring healing. That's what the word means. If we're all broken, isn't it my job to help you and help me connect us again to our sources of mind and body and spirit? Isn't my job actually to help re-source us? As we think about how to help bend the world like a wheel toward justice, as MLK said, words that he that he took without attribution from 
UU minister Theodore Parker. I mean, friends, aren't we all, as I'm thinking about it, in human resources? Amen. Amen. Cool, Mr. Shaddy says. Not much the wiser. Because he's sensing that all this work of human resources has left me an introvert for the long plane ride. So the race starts in Nice, or as the airline steward said to me, nice. <laughs> as I handed her my ticket, and, and, and it is nice. It's astonishingly so. As the taxi takes me along the promenade, and the Mediterranean coast is, is like on my right, and and the palm trees and the beautiful people in the cafes with sunglasses too big for their faces are on the left. Until, of course, on the right I see the trio of French military walking in the promenade next to the bikini teenagers. And the military have their, their automatic rifles slung low over their waist. Not like just hanging out, but ready. And then it's such a beautiful day. On the right, I see the cones and the ribbon and the flowers and the cards. Two kilometers. It's 1.2 miles. The man drove that truck in July and killed all those people. You know, in our church, and with our faith, we say that suffering is a part of life, not a punishment for a way of living. And that is good news for those of you who say, and you might have heard, that everything happens for a reason. You want to see me get defensive, you say that to me. Except as I follow the rope and the ribbon and I see the flowers, it's so forever long. I ask kind of just out loud, you know, um, but this much suffering? I mean, this is a part of life too? So literally, against this backdrop, on that very road, stage one kicks off the next morning. 136 kilometers over three mountains, 500 of us starting, including the eventual winner, a Dutch professional who had just come back from competing in Rio, and Claude, the lean, muscled, tan, 73-year-old, and the horde of Mamiels, I told you about this acronym before, middle-aged men and lycra. <laughs> and the 37 women, including Nicole, who was there with her husband and her parents and her seven-month-old, who she is nursing, nursing, every night after seven hours on the bike, and who beat me across the line six out of seven stages. And I, with all humility, will tell you, I 
and no slouch. <laughs> but that's not the only news. The other news is that as we climb higher and higher and higher, the temperature does not go down. So that the end, the end of the day, the most common refrain among all of us, aside from, oh God, the cramp and water, and I'm not going to make the time cut, is, is this climate change? I mean, it is 91 degrees at 5,000 feet. Stage two, more of the same, same heat, same struggle, same push. This time, four mountains, including the Col de Vars at 2,200 meters. Why, I remember Sally asking me, <laughs> why? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Except I'm actually not really wondering. I'm not. And that's because the struggle there teaches me how to hold the struggle here. In my life and in your life, teaching me that, you know, um, the only way over is through. You can't get around the pain. You have to go through it. Because while I don't believe the hallmark hype that God doesn't give us anything more than we can handle, I don't believe that. I do believe that we have a strength in us and a resilience in us that we too often doubt. Grit it out, says Nicole, the nursing mom, as she passes me. <laughs> in the most beautiful cadence you've ever seen. Grit, a great word for what's at hand as I finish stage two and then stage three and then stage four. Grit meaning, did you know, strength of character, courage. Courage, another great word coming from, of course, you'll know I'll do this for you, the Latin core meaning, terrifically, meaning having heart, meaning full of heart. So that's what I do. I summon my grit. I summon my heart as I climb up the Galibier, 9,000 feet. The last two kilometers at 15% gradient on stage five. And I summon my heart the same way I have seen you summon yours. Kathy losing Michael last year. Jim and Sabrina losing their little boy, Kyle. Dwight losing Pat two years ago, Sally fighting cancer, Jeff losing Nancy, then raising two girls by himself who are now women, one of whom is now a mom. And Katie and Molly and Terry and Dara and Kathleen and Trace afflicting the comfortable, which is us, my friends, with her racial justice work. And Heather summoning heart as she puts on her clergy collar and protests in Roxbury against the pipeline. And our New Orleans team getting ready to stand up and be counted. There are so many of you who tell me and show me your grit, your 
heart. You have beautiful cadence against the steep gradients of life. And you know, the great news of our gospel is that in a country and a culture that celebrates the me instead of the we, we get to pace each other and we get to help each other and we get to tell each other as we pass by grit it out. So air is thin now at the top. My heart rate is well over my threshold, meaning I need to recover. You know, Sabbath is like that too. You come here to recover, I know that, to not just get afflicted out of your comfort, but to find comfort in the midst of your afflictions. Friends, we get it. It's about living in the dance. It's about the downhills and the descents and the climbs together. And do you know how sometimes you're so focused on your life in front of you and on summoning your grit that you keep your eyes only three feet on the road ahead of you? <laughs> you ever have one of those moments? It's called September if you have kids, back to school. You're so focused on the grit and just getting through that you never even look up around you. You never take it all in. Which is what happened to me on stage six. I got to the top of Courchevel, 1,850 meters. And I, and I look right, I finally look right after all the grit and I see out the miles of sky and the vastness of the valleys and the mountains. And it hits me. It hits me. And I don't even know what it is, but would you believe? Would you believe that I am crying? I'm crying. The guy who only cries in kids' movies in the dark at the cinema. And I realize as I look out, the magnificence is overwhelming me. I realize that I'm the guy who has not cried, not once since my brother died one year ago from an opiate overdose. The emotion so deep in me, so buried, but now, after the grit, after summoning heart, are finally free. Finally free. Now, I'm sure there are easier ways to summon heart. Many of you, for example, tell me about your gardening, which is why our gospel also tells us this, that never in this life have we been promised protection from pain. Never believe the lie, and it is a lie, that being pious or devout or coming here every Sunday or anything 
will grant you protection from the messes or help you ramp down the roads or keep you safe? Never. But what our good news does offer you and it offers me is the promise of presence and of company and of ministers and a congregation and the God that I believe in that is less noun as in a thing to accept or reject and much more a verb as in something that you experience when you're out in the world. So stage seven into Geneva, the ride's benediction, the race's final blessing given to me in the form of strong legs and a tailwind and a 22 speed heart because that's how many gears my bike has. I could tell you where I finished in the pack, middle. I could tell you that I just barely finished ahead of Nicole on the last day, barely. But then she had been up the whole night before nursing her baby. <laughs> so who's the one with true grit? And I could show you my, my finisher medal. And I could show you my Mamiel jersey. <laughs> I have them on, actually. <laughs> but you know, Heather said to me um, this week, are you just going to talk about what you did during your summer vacation? <laughs> But I really hope that as you say goodbye to me this morning, that you will know that my sharing with you is, is not about me. It's about you. And it's about the good news of our faith and how it can, and I can testify to this, push you up the hills and give you the gears, as Jen said, that will keep you from spinning down and down and down in your life. You have heart, summon it. You have good news, stop being so quiet and give a little gospel. You wanna live in the world and not just look at the world Do it. Grit it out may not be a, a prayer that we read in scripture, but after this summer, my friends, it is my prayer to you. Summon your heart. Have courage. Show your strength of character. All that's at stake is a world that needs nothing less from you and me. We'll cross the finish line. Say amen.